Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 117th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is the battle against COVID-19, how e-discovery software is playing a role. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Thanks to our sponsor, Logical, instant discovery software for modern legal teams. Logical offers perfectly predictable pricing at just $250 per matter per month. Create your free account at any time at Logical.com. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, PI Now. If you need a private investigator you can trust, visit PINow.com to learn more. Today, our guest is Maura R. Grossman, JD, PhD. She's a research professor in the School of Computer Science at the University of Waterloo and an adjunct professor at Osgoode Hall Law School of York University, both in Ontario, Canada. She's also a principal at Maura Grossman Law, an e-discovery law and consulting firm in Buffalo, New York. Mara is most well-known for her scholarly work on technology-assisted review, TAR, and for her role as a special master in multiple high-profile federal and state court cases. It's great to have you with us today, Mara. Thank you, and thanks, Sharon, for having me on your show in these rather trying times. It's great to be here, and I hope you and your listeners are doing well and staying healthy and safe. Thank you. I think we all wish the same for all of our listeners and for one another. Maura, we're pretty certain that the title of this podcast is mysterious to most of our listeners. Can you tell us how e-discovery software is playing a role in fighting COVID-19? Sure. In the past decade or so, e-discovery software that's known as Technology Assisted Review, or TAR, has been used in large litigation matters to help lawyers to distinguish between relevant and irrelevant information more effectively and more efficiently than they could do through a linear manual review if they were doing just that. My research collaborator and my partner, Gordon Cormack, and I thought we could apply the same approach to separate studies on COVID-19 treatments from studies on other things to help medical researchers to find the information they needed to reach sound conclusions about what works and what doesn't work in treating this virus. Well, Maura, Maura, we've known you a, a long time, and you're you're so focused on this the e-discovery software. But how how did you become involved in using e-discovery software for health-related research? Well, in this particular instance, Gordon and I were approached by a team of medical researchers from the knowledge synthesis team at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, and they were working in conjunction with several Canadian public health agencies, including Health Canada and the Canadian Frailty Network to identify relevant research, both studies that had been peer reviewed and published in medical journals, but also those that were unvetted preprints of studies that were in various repositories all over the web. And one of the team members, happily enough, turned out to be a graduate of the University of Waterloo and was generally familiar with our work using machine learning and e-discovery. So he reached out to see there, if there was any way we could help 
their team. And he didn't know at the time we'd actually already dabbled in using TAR for healthcare research in the hmm. past. And I had uh, recently uh, been granted a fellowship from the university to do further research on the application of AI to healthcare. So it all came together quite nicely. Just amazing stuff. I, this blows my mind what you're doing, and I think it's so great. What kind of feedback have you received so far from the medical researchers, and, and how much faster does the research go when, when using your software? It's, it's really been great working with the research team. They're actually very happy with the results. What they did in the past was they would apply keywords to the abstracts of studies contained in these multiple huge databases to find potentially relevant studies. Then they would have a medical researcher review the abstracts of each study to determine if the study was potentially relevant. And if so, they'd pull the entire article, which usually incurred some kind of fee. And then a doctor would read the whole study to determine whether it met certain criteria and should be included in the meta-analysis. This task is typically called systematic review, and it normally can take a year or more to do because the keyword searches are very over-inclusive, the databases are constantly being updated with new studies every day, and not all of the studies are in English. But using TAR, Gordon and I were able to assist the team in doing what's called a rapid systematic review that took us about two weeks. And so as you can imagine, they were thrilled to be able to do the same work at a higher quality in a fraction of the time. You know, Maura, it's, it's, it's interesting what you just described there sounds frighteningly like the, the early days of uh, electronic evidence review, doesn't it? Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so what, what role do you think that, that accelerating the, the identification of the medical research can play in, in, in finding a, a cure for COVID-19? John, in a systematic review, you're not looking at a, a single study to reach a conclusion about the effectiveness of a particular treatment. You're looking at many, many studies for a trend. So imagine if you have 20 different studies and each of them show a very negligible treatment effect for a particular drug. Each of those studies, the results are not statistically significant. So if you looked at each study in isolation, you'd conclude that that treatment isn't particularly helpful. But if you looked at all 20 studies together and saw a, a modest treatment effect, you might come to a very different conclusion. That, in fact, might be strong evidence that the treatment has some positive effect. And that's the purpose of a systematic review. It's a meta-analysis of all of the studies you can find on a particular treatment. So the systematic reviews of COVID-19 helped us to gather the studies from all over the world, some of which had gone through actual peer review channels and, and publication, but because of the crisis, a lot of them had not. And we were trying to help the team look for trends in the results so that they could reach faster and empirically based conclusions about various treatments for, for this virus. Mm. Mara, I understand that the e-discovery company Relativity is also engaging in what seems to be a similar effort. Is it, is it much the same as what you are doing or are there differences between the two efforts? So my understanding, Sharon, is that 
after the White House Office of Science and Technology released a massive data set of COVID-19 medical research, they issued a call to the technology community for help in developing data mining techniques to help scientists be able to search that data for answers to questions about COVID-19. And what Relativity did was respond by offering the use of its e-discovery technology to help facilitate that review. So in essence, Relativity was offering the scientists the use of, of its software. What Gordon and I did was a little different. We actually went out and found the potentially relevant studies from the multiple databases and multiple languages and forward the results of our searches to the researchers to actually just review and include it in their meta-analysis or not. So they didn't have to do any searching themselves. We also redid our search every day because we weren't working with a single static database like this White House collection. Our sources were located different places on the web, were constantly being updated. So while the two efforts were similar in some respects, they weren't exactly the same. Thank you. That really makes it clear. I, I didn't understand the difference when I was reading about it. So thank you for the explanation. <laughs> well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Trying to cut costs? You're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter, and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit Logical.com LTN. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PI Now understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is the battle against COVID-19, how e-discovery software is playing a role. Today, our guest is Maura R. Grossman, JD, PhD, a research professor in the School of Computer Science at the University of Waterloo and an adjunct professor at Osgoode Hall Law School of York University, both in Ontario, Canada. She is also principal at Maura Grossman Law, an e-discovery law and consulting firm in Buffalo, New York. More before the break, we were, we talked a little bit about uh, relativity and what they're doing, but I noted that they've listed four ways in which the, its technology could help with the fight against COVID-19. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about those four ways, and does your software do this, this, the same things as well? So my understanding is that relativity software performs four distinct tasks. The first thing they did was to deduplicate or to eliminate exact duplicates from the database because researchers were complaining that they were coming across the same studies over and over. And that's a problem, as you know, we also see in e-discovery mm -hmm. where the same email comes up time and time again. The second thing Relativity did was to tag the studies by language because the data set included studies from around the world. And obviously you need people who speak the language to read 
the medical studies in, in that language. The third thing they did was to provide users with the ability to search the database using concepts instead of just keywords. So if a study was about the same topic as another study, but happened to use different terms, different keywords, it would still be found through a search. And the last thing they did was that the researchers in that particular effort were very interested in finding and summarizing articles from Spanish journals that involved pediatric patients that did not have symptoms. And Relativity assisted the searchers in identifying those studies by focusing the search engine on the ages of the study participants so that they could zero in on those those studies very quickly. Our process was a little bit different because we weren't, again, offering the research as software per se. We were offering them a service that happened to use our TAR software. So we were able to deduplicate. We were certainly able to identify studies by language. But our, our task wasn't to provide the research with this, uh, researchers with a search tool to use for themselves, but rather to actually go out and go all over the web and to find all the studies that met very specific criteria that they had given to us. So in one case, it was, please find us anything on methods for preventing the transmission of COVID-19 in older adults living in long-term care. This is just fascinating stuff. I, I, I'm sure, <laughs> sure listeners are going to be you know, really immersed in this, especially since we're all so impacted by it. You, you know, you're using technology-assisted review or TAR uh, to assist the medical researchers. How does the way you're using the software now, how does it, use, how does it differ from the standard use of TAR in e-discovery? So typically in e-discovery, and as was the case for Relativity's efforts, you're dealing with a single fixed data collection that you upload to your tool, and then you search that repository for relevant information related to your case. Maybe it's updated periodically by what's called a rolling collection. You have a fr- three new people that you didn't know about and you add their data, but it isn't going to be located in multiple places on the web, and it certainly isn't updating by the hour. So we were actually searching not only different public data sources on the web, but they were dynamic. They certainly weren't set up for e-discovery purposes. So it it presented a different set of challenges than what you usually see in e-discovery. Well, I can see you met the challenge. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think, you know, the attorneys were really slow in, in, in adopting TAR as uh, in e-discovery in the, in the early days. And do you, th- do you think the medical research folks are going to adopt the technology at a, at a faster pace uh, to speed up their work? I do, John. I think the in- incentive structures are very different in the two fields. As you know, as well as I do, lawyers live by the billable hour, and they're not necessarily Mm -hmm. as motivated to reduce the time and therefore the cost to clients for e-discovery services. And e-discovery efforts also take place in an adversarial context. There's a winner and there's a loser, and that depends heavily on what's found as a result of the search effort. So obviously the producing party wants to produce as little as possible and the requesting party wants to get as much as they can. Medical researchers, on the other hand, are highly 
incentivized to reduce the time and the cost to do these systematic reviews and to complete their meta-analyses as quickly as possible because that saves lives. So their review effort doesn't take place in the same adversarial context. There's no good and bad evidence. It's just a matter of finding everything that's out there that meets the criteria they've specified for inclusion in the systematic review. And there, the biggest risk is not finding a study that you should have included. So unlike lawyers who are slow to adopt new technologies, the medical researchers are actually very excited to try new tools that can expedite their work. And and Gordon and I are pretty confident that they're going to begin using machine learning for this task more and more frequently as they move forward. Well, the faster they uh, can go, the better for all of us. So uh, thank you for all your efforts in that direction. And, and I have a question just based on sheer ignorance. Are you doing any other research in the health area? Actually, I am, Sharon. One of my graduate students and I are working with a small team at the University of Waterloo on a really interesting project. And we're using machine learning technologies, very much like TAR, to identify health misinformation on the web. So as you know, all of us turn to the internet, we experience a symptom, we want to figure out, oh no, what might it be? <laughs> what, what disease do I have? How, how am I supposed to treat it? I mean, we don't want to go to the doctor unless we have to. So health misinformation is rampant on the web and it can be very, very, very harmful. Take, for example, the suggestion of ingesting disinfectants that might cure the coronavirus. <laughs> or cinnamon is a cure for, if you Googled it, you'd find cinnamon is a cure for diabetes, can help prevent Alzheimer's, HIV, multiple sclerosis, and cardiovascular disease. So what our team is experimenting with is using TAR methods to rapidly and effectively identify this misinformation so that it can either be removed or at least tagged on social media. Well, I know that there is nobody listening (laughs) who doesn't know what a problem that is. And it's very difficult sometimes to know that you're looking at something which is really uh, not true. So that's another great contribution. Yeah, I think that is too. And I, I think it's funny more when you said that because that's exactly what Sharon does. She, she talks about her medical degree as she searches the internet. Yes, all of us do. But my doctor tells me my diagnosis is always correct. <laughs> but there, there are reputable sites with reputable information, and I think that's what's key. But that's yeah, a whole other yes, issue. Yes, I, I think s- s- stick to law, dear. <laughs> so, so, Maura, do you have, have any final thoughts? And, and please tell our listeners where they can find out more about your efforts in this area. Thank you again for having me. Basically, it's been great to be able to help out the community, even even in this sort of tiny way. It, it's very difficult, especially up in Canada, where we're watching a, a fire raging out of control and, and you feel like there's nothing you can do. There is a, a short article. I'm not going to give you the exact site because it's a really long URL. But if you Google Waterloo and computer science and technology-assisted review, and COVID-19, you will definitely come across it. And it describes our work. It has links to several media reports about it, including Robert Ambrogi's piece on Above the Law. We, meaning Gordon and I and the medical research team, are have submitted the results of the rapid reviews for publication. And certainly, if anybody wants more information, they should feel free to reach out to me at mora.grossman at uwaterloo.com dot ca and thanks again
Well, we, we want to thank you, Maura, for being our guest today. Also want to extend our thanks for to Gordon for the research that you all are doing and how you're helping in this effort. I mean, it's a horrible time, but then when you run into people like you who are doing everything possible to, to make this better and bring this to a close, it's, it's really very inspirational. So I know you're busy, and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or an Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.